Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. You're listening to the second season of Breakdown, an exclusive podcast by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This season, death in a hot car, mistake or murder. Go to AJCBreakdown.com for additional background, photos, video, and more on the Justin Ross Harris case. Previously on Breakdown. We've got a, just about every part of the society that you could think of here in Glen County in a very small area because you know, we live in a beautiful place on God's planet. A lot of people want to come here. Dr. Diamond was an important witness for us in, in our case. I think it's clear from comments in the media about cases like this nationally that everybody's sort of automatic uh, reaction is, I don't understand how this could happen. I could never leave my child in a car. What we're asking you to allow us to do, as we should be allowed to under the law, is allow the jury to look at the murder weapon. That's exactly what this is. The state alleges that car was the murder weapon. Don't let anyone tell you that jury selection is boring. It's not. It's truly fascinating. Where else would you find the guy who believes God enables him to see what other people think? Or the guy who was ready to render an unusual verdict, not innocent, even before he heard any testimony? Or the mother of two young sons who began sobbing, even before the lawyers asked her any questions? So these are some of the folks called to sit in judgment of Justin Ross Harris. He's accused of deliberately leaving his 22-month-old son Cooper in his hot SUV to die. You'll be surprised to learn which of these three qualified for the final jury pool. But more about that later. We can tell you this. On Wednesday, after eight grueling days in court, we finally got a pool of enough eligible jurors for the trial. On October 3rd, 12 jurors and four alternate jurors will be selected and the trial will begin in earnest. First, a quick bit of catching up. As you'll recall, Harris's trial moved 300 miles from the Atlanta suburb of Marietta to the seaside town of Brunswick. The hope was to find a jury pool that didn't already think Harris was guilty. Back home in Cobb County, Georgia, dozens of potential jurors had already concluded that Harris did it. It turns out, News of this sensational case made it all the way down to the Georgia coast in a big way. Of the 72 prospective jurors questioned, 62 had already heard about the case through the media. That's no surprise, really. This is a national story. Also, more than half, 40 potential jurors, said they'd already formed opinions about Harris's guilt or innocence. And you know, and I know, that means they think he's guilty. Even so, this group of potential jurors is different, way different. 
I'm Bill Rankin, legal affairs reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm covering the trial with my AJC colleague, Christian Boone, who, like me, has sat through hour upon hour of jury selection. Here's his take on what we saw unfold in Brunswick. Uh, the people in Cobb didn't take it personally, the jurors in Cobb. They were very unforgiving, unsparing. Here you've got a few people who have made up their minds and don't seem open to change, but not quite, not near as much as you saw in uh, Cobb. There was an anger in Cobb, like people took it personally, like it was just a real visceral hatred of Justin Ross Harris. Here, I don't think, even though they know about the case, they don't know it as well. They're not as acquainted, and it's just not the same level of, of just vitriol that you saw up there. If you sat in the courtroom like we did, you couldn't miss one common thread that ran throughout the jury pool. Tragedy. Almost half of the jurors had either known someone who experienced the loss of a child or they had personally experienced it. Juror 20's example, she lost a child at a young age. Another uh, man said three of his children were stillborn. We had a juror today who uh, lost his mother and younger brother in a car accident that he was in as a child. There were two jurors who had uh, friends who committed suicide. One who lost her father, who was a police officer, killed in the line of duty when she was 12. So there's a lot of heartache on this uh, jury. A number of Glenn County residents in the pool have been struck for cause, meaning they had such fixed opinions as to Harris's guilt, they couldn't be fair and impartial. But there are some other reasons jurors have been removed from the pool. There have been a few that were pretty easy calls as far as just disqualifications. There was a, a potential juror who works in construction, has four kids, showed up late the first day, which the judge didn't like too much. He also reaped of marijuana, according to the lead prosecutor, fell asleep for about 20 minutes during the process. And as if those weren't disqualifiers, the one that was certain to get him sent home was that he had a felony conviction that was not disclosed. So that's an automatic cut right there. There was also a um, female juror who said she could not, because of her faith, she felt she could not sit in judgment of someone. So she was cut loose. We also saw something quite a bit different with Judge Mary Staley Clark. Now remember why we're down here on the Golden Isles. Earlier this year, almost at the end of a grueling three weeks of jury selection, Staley Clark had second thoughts about some jurors she found to be eligible to serve. The defense had argued they couldn't be fair or impartial, but Staley overruled them, qualified the jurors, and then changed her mind at the end of the process and granted a change of venue. Many observers, myself included, were surprised that Staley Clark qualified these jurors because they'd said they believed Harris was guilty. But as I told you at the time, the judge is a former prosecutor with a reputation for being the kind of judge who most always rules for the prosecution. So look what happened last week. The first juror interviewed by the lawyers became the first contested juror. Juror number one is a retiree, a military vet, and a regular churchgoer who watches Fox News. He also had an attitude. At one point, he answered defense lawyer Maddox Kilgore's questions with such an edge that Kilgore asked the man if he was mad at him. Juror number one had raised his hand when asked if he had formed and expressed an opinion as to Harris's guilt or innocence. Here is Kilgore questioning him about his thoughts on the case. When you answered yes to the judge's question if you'd formed an opinion, what was that opinion that you formed? That the is not, is not innocent. He's, that he's not innocent. Say again. I have no idea what he did. So my, my opinion is he did probably did something, so he can't be innocent. Your opinion is he probably did something, so he's not innocent. Based on the long list of charges y'all have, I think my uh, that's what 
Did you hear that? Based on the long list of charges in the indictment, he's not innocent, juror number one answered. When asked if he could put his opinion aside and decide the case based on the law and the evidence, juror number one waffled. One time he said no. Another time he said yes. He also said his opinion never changes. So here we were, right off the bat. We were about to learn some things about how this round of jury selection would go. Of course, Kilgore was going to ask the court to disqualify this juror. But would the prosecution fight it? And if so, would Staley Clark do the same thing she did the first go-round in Cobb and side with the state? Here's Kilgore arguing his position. But when I questioned him, uh, he again acknowledged that he could decide on the evidence, but in, in regards to his opinion, he said, that never changes. He essentially said, I'm still going to have that opinion. And I believe specifically his words were, that opinion never changes. And so I think the, the, the totality of acknowledging that he's formed an opinion, uh, that, that clearly that opinion was guilt, he made it real clear that opinion's not going to change. Yes, I'll decide on the evidence, but I'm still going to have my opinion. Uh, given the 200, 250 folks we got to question, um, I, I, I think it's certainly reasonable that uh, this particular juror be excused for cause. I just don't think he's an appropriate juror uh, for this case. Okay, that came as no surprise. But what would lead Cobb County Prosecutor Chuck Boring say? Your Honor, I think it's very clear that uh, juror number one is qualified. Juror was very clear in saying that uh, he would follow the trial testimony, would follow the law of the court, and had no problem setting it aside to uh, render a verdict just based upon that in this case, and not any opinions that he had uh, leading up to the case. I have to admit, I was truly surprised by Boring's position on this. Why cause the same potential problem again? But I also have to say I was not surprised by Staley Clark's decision. She announced it from the bench. He did, in fact, say that his opinion would never change, that he had his opinion, uh, and that the opinion was that he's not innocent which means that the juror cannot effectively follow the court's instructions as to presumption of innocence. And the defendant's entitled to that constitutionally. So I think there's a record that supports finding that to a level of his ability to serve, that component would not exist. And I'm going to grant the um, motion to strike for cause to the defense. And I know the state's exception to the court's ruling. So the judge didn't rule in favor of the prosecution. Atlanta criminal defense attorney Esther Panich, who's closely followed the Harris case, was in Brunswick watching this initial bit of drama unfold. Here's her take. This looks like a much more conscientious judge about who she's letting go forward through into the final panel. The last time, and maybe hindsight's 2020 in this case, she let so many through that were clearly objectionable. And this time it appears she has recognized that it's prudent to strike them as she goes along. Because there was only one juror yesterday that was at issue, that there was an objection. And it seems like the judge is erring on the side of caution. We keep talking about striking the jurors, but the court doesn't actually strike them. It just lets them go. Probably the only time in your life when being struck is not such a bad thing. We didn't see another close contest like we did with juror number one, but Staley Clark's decision certainly set the tone. 
We also saw some jurors who really stood out. Take juror number 35. He runs a local ministry with his wife. He described himself as a minister who can read minds, a seer. Eight years ago, he said, the Lord sent him on a mission to start looking at the way people think. Here's juror number 35 explaining his gift to lead prosecutor Boring. Yes, not necessarily a brain thing, but I can spend time with somebody and see and hear, and, I, and of course the Lord's intervention also, mm-hmm. and tell things. If I tell that to a bunch of people, it kind of gets goofy quick. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, that is my calling life. Like criminal minds, if you look at criminal minds, yes, sir. these things, it's, I, I operate the same kind of thing, except it's from a spiritual side, and we go to help people get healed of it mm-hmm. instead of letting them run off and kill people. That, that sounds pretty intense. It um, is. It's very intense. Harris's lawyer, Kilgore, noted that the TV show Criminal Minds involves an elite squad of FBI profilers who use intuition to anticipate the bad guy's next moves. It's not a spiritual gift, he said. The question, Kilgore said, is whether juror number 35 could put his seer ability aside and decide the case on what goes on in the courtroom. It's not a, a light thing to say that you're going to sort of close down or, 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 or cover uh, um, a spiritual gift. So uh, that's why we're just making sure that um, you're gonna be comfortable that you can do it. You can decide on the evidence and the law and not some sort of um, a gift or in, uh, intuition. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, You're comfortable with that. Yes, I do it all the time. Juror number 35, he's a member of the final pool of eligible jurors. Then there was juror number 36, a slight, soft-spoken elementary school teacher from St. Simons. She's married with two young boys, three and five years old. When it came time for her to be questioned individually in the jury box by the lawyers, she immediately broke down crying. It was hard to watch. She was truly suffering. And Boring, who heads his office's special victims unit, certainly has had to handle delicate situations like this in the past. And he did so here with compassion and care. Here he is offering comfort and understanding to this school teacher who was sobbing so hard she could barely speak. And to get a true appreciation of what happened, Make sure and listen to what Judge Staley Clark tells the woman when she begins to exit the courtroom. If you were selected as a juror, would you be able to put those aside and render a verdict based on the evidence in the law? And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, look, I mean, right now you're going to have trouble. I don't think, I mean, I would try, but I don't think I could. Okay. Is that that, that opinion that you formed? Was it that he's guilty? While weeping, she nodded yes. And you have to be ashamed or, or upset about it. Do you think you'd be able to get the defendant a fair trial? Well, I, could, I don't think I could get through it, and I don't think I could look at the pictures, and I don't think I could. I think you understand, ma'am. Don't worry about it. Right I mean, now. I can't. I have to. You are welcome to sit back in the jury room and take a minute to compose yourself. Are you going to have somebody to come get you or something? No. Are you going to be okay? And with that, juror number 36 was sent home and will not have to attend the trial. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Like we said, this is quite a different jury pool from the one we saw in Cobb. Brunswick is indeed different, just as the court hoped it would be. Take juror number 20 as an example. She lives north of Brunswick and has three young children. During her first marriage, she lost a baby in her ninth month of pregnancy. After that tragedy, she said, she had an affair because her husband had just checked out. She met her current husband on an online dating site, and she's very familiar with the Harris case. So much so, she always puts her purse and diaper bag in the back seat so she won't forget the kids. She also nags her husband to the point of annoyance, constantly reminding him not to forget the kids in the car. How much does juror number 20 know about the Harris case? Quite a bit, such as how he went back to the car in the office parking lot at lunchtime and how he was sexting with young girls as his son was dying. When she came to court, juror number 20 said she thought Harris was guilty. She'd already made up her mind. I've always said, I, I can't understand how anyone could forget their child. Like, how do you do that? You know, um, how does that happen? She was then asked whether she could be a fair and impartial juror. Her answer could be used as part of a civics lesson on the importance of jury duty. I think if you had asked me that before this process, I would have said no. But going through this process has definitely opened my mind to a point of understanding a little more about the situation, so yes. How was the process, uh, you just said it had kind of opened your eyes. How, how, was, how have things changed since you gave that affirmative response that you formed and expressed an opinion? Well, it's kind of in two ways. Um, the first one, we walked into the courtroom Monday mm-hmm. um, and the defendant was seated here at the table. It's different when you see someone's picture in the news article or on, you know, online, but when you're actually in the room then you realize like, there are no monsters. Mm-hmm. People may or may not do monstrous things, but okay. we're all human beings. And that really hit home with me. And then when the judge was saying, like, keep an open mind, you haven't actually seen any evidence. And I was thinking, and that's true because all that I had seen was what was in the newspaper. And I don't have any way to corroborate, like, whether that's actually true or whether it isn't. You know, so if it was me seated at that table, I would want the people sitting here to hear the evidence and base it off that. Not what they read in the paper or what they talked about by the water cooler, but what was actually factually before them. Juror number 20 was declared eligible to serve. She's still in the pool. So, like I've said, this jury selection or deselection marks the first time the lawyers get to talk to the jurors. Besides asking whether they had formed an opinion on Harris's guilt, 
They have asked jurors any number of questions. Does your job give you the authority to hire and fire people? Have you struck up a romantic relationship using an online dating site? Do you know a family member or a close friend who's forgotten or almost forgotten their child or animal in a car? Do you have family members or close friends who've had an affair? Do you know anyone with sex addiction? Believe me, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Remember, we've been in court for a week and a half now. There have been a lot of questions. So the real purpose of jury selection is for the lawyers to get to know as much about each individual juror as possible, right? That's what this is all about, right? Well, sort of, but that's only part of it. This is the lawyer's first opportunity to ingratiate themselves with the jurors. That's Atlanta criminal defense lawyer Esther Panich again. She was in court here last week and saw firsthand what's been going on. No matter who gets picked, they'll insert some personal information every time they have the opportunity. We've heard one lawyer talk about his kids. We've heard the other lawyer talk about his kids, uh, where they go to daycare, what they can't help with their math homework. There are lots of things that they try to make sure that there's some connection. And so another parent sitting in the jury box may say, oh yeah, I have the same issue with my kids. So you're already creating a bond with the jurors. And at the end of the day, at the end of the case, these 12 will decide the fate of this case. Remember what she said. They'll insert some personal information every chance they get. Let's start with Harris's lead defense attorney, Maddox Kilgore. He got his first traffic ticket when he was 16, he told a juror who said she'd never gotten one. He has two chihuahuas, he told a juror who began talking about his dog. Oh, and Kilgore also told another dog lover that he bought one of those chihuahuas from the Humane Society for $10 for his wife, and a week later had to pay $1,500 for the dog's hip replacement. Kilgore likes the TV show The Good Wife, he told a juror who likes The Good Wife. He and his wife had the hardest time trying to eat out at restaurants with their newborn, he told a juror who struggled to do the same thing. Sidebar counselor, that's because you really shouldn't ever try to do that. And then there's lead prosecutor Boring. He's previously divorced, he told a divorced juror. He doesn't like to watch crime shows on TV, he told a juror who loves to watch Law & Order too much like work, Boring explained. He does like watching sports, like the Atlanta Braves and the Falcons. And fellow prosecutor Jesse Evans. He struggles to help his daughter with her math homework, he told a teacher. He loves to cook, he told a woman who loves to cook. He plays the harmonica, he told a fellow musician. He's not very good with social media. He loves to watch football on TV. There now, don't we all feel a bit closer? It's all part of jury selection, said Panitch, and little things like this could make a big difference. The more that the lawyers and the jurors feel connected to each other, that the lawyer is likely to get the benefit of the doubt in a close call, the lawyer that the juror likes more. What a lot of trouble. What a lot of expense. What a lot of hot air. But don't forget, we go through all that because we're Americans. And in the Ross Harris case, you're seeing some of our most cherished laws at work. These are the things that make us who we are. Justice, fairness, due process, equal protection of the law. It's bedrock stuff, and Panitch says it right. It's really not good TV to be so repetitive with individuals 
and don't feel like you're making progress. But in law, this is how the sausage gets made and the world is watching it. But this is a constitutional right. It's the Sixth Amendment guarantees a defendant a fair and impartial jury. And this is what it means. It means spending thousands of dollars to move a trial hundreds of miles away. It means inconveniencing other people, lots of people, in order to make sure that the Constitution is abided by. It's got to work for everyone, including the least popular who are charged. Next, on Breakdown, we will finally have a jury. And I know, I know, I ended a podcast earlier this year saying exactly the same thing. And you know what happened after that. But this time, I really feel confident it's going to happen. And once the jury is picked on October 3rd, opening statements and testimony should follow. Those opening statements will tell us exactly how the trial is going to go. And there may be some bombshells. Breakdown will be back next week to set up the trial. Then we'll return on Mondays after each week of testimony and the verdict. Thanks again so very much for listening. What we need to know is, because of your a unique trauma that you have been through, telling us that looking at these photographs um, are going to be very difficult for you. And do you believe that you are going to be able to do that? Look at that kind of evidence and be impartial to both sides in rendering your verdict. I will do my best if I was chosen. Season two of Breakdown, Death in a Hot Car, Mistake or Murder, is a production of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The story is reported and told by Bill Rankin, produced by Richard Hallix. Audio production by Chris Basta of Bare Knuckles Creative. The music for Breakdown was composed and performed by Bo Emerson, Chris Nicholson, and Chris Basta. Special thanks to Burt Roten, Ross Cavett, Chris Nicholson, and Buddy Hall. 